If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. Today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 19. Many years ago, I remember sitting in English class in a homeschool co-op group, and my teacher, she was saying how annoyed she was with a popular children's fantasy series. She said that the books were filled with, with lots of, of extra needless words, that there were lots of sentences that could have and should have been removed from the book, that the book was filled with fluff. Well, sometimes when we look at the Bible, we can be tempted to think the exact same thing. We see some things that don't seem to add a whole lot to the story, or we see that there seems to be a a lot of pointless repetition, and we're tempted to think that it's just a lot of fluff, unnecessary words and sentences that could have and should have been cut from the Bible. But although we can be tempted to think that about the parts of the Bible, it's not true. Paul said in the very familiar passage in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Everything written in this book comes from the mouth of God. And though though some of it might seem to be fluff at first, there is nothing unnecessary in the Scriptures. And I know from my own heart that it was helpful for me to remember this when I was going through this passage that we're going to look at tonight because some of it initially feels like fluff. It might be interesting, but it seems like it's uh, padded with a lot of unnecessary information. But as we're going to see, everything in this passage was put here for a reason and everything in here is profitable for us. So please look with me at Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 19, as we examine a passage with no fluff. Genesis chapter 8, starting in verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. 
It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark." Lord God, we thank you for your willingness to speak to us today through your, your word. We thank you that it is powerful and it is profitable. And I ask that you would make it so for us today, that we would be changed by it, that we would be led to see the significance of different things that you have laid out here, and that we would learn to apply them into our life. We thank you, Lord God, for your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. If you want to better follow along today, there's an outline on your bulletin. Well, it's been a few weeks since our last time in this book, but last time we were together, we saw the entire world get destroyed. The worst most devastating physical event in the history of mankind had occurred, a worldwide flood. God had seen the horrible wickedness and evil of mankind, and he decided to judge the whole world. God sent a a massive flood across the planet that killed off every bird, every animal, every human. Everything on earth died. Except what was on the ark. One man, Noah, had lived a faith-filled life and followed God. And God saved that man, his family, and pairs of animals from across the world by putting them in an ark. At the direction of God, Noah had had built this huge boat called an ark. And last we saw Noah, he was floating in the ark as the total destruction of the earth went on outside. The earth was completely covered by water, but it would not stay that way forever. Which brings us to our first point. Water receding. Water receding. Again, Genesis chapter 8. 
The first five verses say, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. I've gotten very used to reading the Bible to my kids and trying to interact to get them to to stay focused. And I almost blew on you guys when I said wind there, um, just to keep keep you guys' focus there. But Noah and those people and the animals in the ark had been saved from the flood, but they were now stuck in a boat with nowhere to go and the entire earth covered with water. They'd been saved, but unless God did some more saving, they could not survive floating around on this zoo boat forever. But God would not abandon Noah. Verse 1 begins with, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. Now, God remembering Noah does not mean that God sometimes loses track of people and and forgets they exist. God didn't have amnesia and then suddenly remember to uh, take his memory pills and recall that Noah was, was stuck in that boat. Now, the idea of God remembering people in the Bible has the idea of God focusing on people to show them love. Focusing on people to show them love. It has the idea of God deciding to help or deliver those who he remembers. For example, because God remembered Abraham in Genesis 19, God saved Lot from the judgment Sodom and Gomorrah received. Because God remembered Rachel in Genesis 30, God granted her prayer and gave her a son. Because God remembered his covenant with the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 2, he began the process of delivering them from their captivity in Egypt. When the Bible says that God remembers someone, it means God is now focusing on that person in order to show them love, in order to help or deliver them. And when God remembered Noah in Genesis 8, he immediately began the process of saving him and the others from the waters that were still covering the entire planet. The second half of verse 1 says, And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. God acted to deliver Noah. Our God is a God of power and authority. And not only could he flood the earth to judge, but he could remove the waters to save. So God caused a wind to blow that began to cause the waters to leave the surface of the earth. The reason why the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually, the reason why all that happened is because God caused it to happen. 
The almighty creator remembered Noah. He focused on this man and began to deliver Noah from the waters. And after several months of the water receding, the ark came to rest on some mountains in the region of Ararat, and the tops of the mountains were beginning to be seen. Now at this point, Noah's family and the animals had spent many months in the ark, but even though the water level was going down, Noah still had a long, long time to wait. Which brings us to our next point, Noah waiting. Genesis chapter 1, verses 6, excuse me, verses 6 through 14. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. From what we see in Genesis... Once Noah was in the ark, God stopped speaking to him. Which means that Noah had endured months and months at sea in a portable zoo with no knowledge of when the voyage would end. So verse 6 says that Noah eventually opened the window of the ark that he had made. It was time to try and, and find out what was going on outside. And so Noah opened the window and he sent out some birds. Now, the Bible doesn't give us explicit details on why the raven and the dove were chosen, and and many people have come up with all sorts of weird allegorical interpretations that are really nothing more than, than wild guesses. But what we do know is that Noah started his bird experiment in verse 7, where it says that after he opened the window, he sent forth a raven. Unlike the dove, the the Bible does not say what the purpose was for sending out the raven, nor does it say that the raven came back to the ark. Instead, it says in verse 7 that it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Ravens are are scavengers who are more than willing to eat corpses, and there would have been Billions of corpses all across the earth floating on the water as every bird, animal, and human outside the ark had just drowned. So it is possible that that Noah sent the raven out to see if the waters had calmed down. And the raven confirmed that as it continually flew around outside, not returning, possibly landing on floating dead bodies in the water. But in verse 8, we do get a clear explanation for the purpose of sending out the dove. It says, Then he sent forth the dove from him 
to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. The dove was meant to be a scout for Noah. The dove wouldn't feast on corpses, but would want to find some good land to, to, to jump on top of and non-meat items to eat. Verse 9 says that the first dove returned because it found no place to set her foot. After waiting a week, Noah sent out the dove again, and this time the scouting mission came back with some results. It says in verse 11, she found a freshly plucked olive leaf. That meant that the water level had dropped dramatically and plants were again able to begin to grow on earth. After another week, Noah sent the dove out a third time and verse 12 says she did not return to him anymore. That would have meant that the dove no longer felt the need to return to the ark to rest and there must have been a lot of ground that was no longer covered with water. But Noah still did not leave the ark. He waited. Verse 13 says that the waters were dried from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. Noah had removed the the covering on the ark so that he could see things more clearly for himself, and it was clear that the ground was dry. Dry. But Noah still did not leave the ark. He waited. More than a month later, verse 14 says again that the earth had dried out, but Noah still did not emerge from that boat. He waited. You see, God had told Noah to build this boat. God had told Noah how to build this boat. God had told Noah when to go into the boat. God had shut the door on the boat, and now Noah obediently waited for God's command to leave the boat. Throughout the last few chapters, we have seen the obedience of Noah as he carefully and faithfully obeyed everything that God had said. And now we see Noah continuing to obey as he patiently waits for God to tell him when to leave the ark. Now that would not have been an easy thing to do. Noah, his family, and thousands of animals were stuck on this boat for 12 straight months. The discomfort of being cooped up for that long would have been extreme. And and to look outside and to know that the ground was dry and yet still wait almost two whole months for God's command, that would have been rough. But Noah trusted God. And even though it was uncomfortable, Noah was willing to patiently wait on God's timing. But God's timing did eventually come, which leads us to our last point, God commanding. God commanding. Genesis 8, verses 15 through 19 says, Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. 
Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Noah had to patiently wait. But God did eventually speak and gave the go-ahead to leave the ark. And God mentioned every category of person and thing that was with Noah in the ark. And God told them to disembark. And then the narration describes every category of person and thing that was with Noah in the ark disembarking. Now the text could have just said, everyone and everything in the ark went out. But instead, it repeats. It says, so Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Now, this repetition is not pointless. This repetition is meant to to slow us down. And force us to focus on what God has just accomplished. It emphasizes the salvation that God provided for Noah's family and for every kind of creature on the earth. God showed forth his judgment and his wrath in the flood, but God showed forth his mercy and grace in the salvation of those people and animals on the ark. God's punishment was Fierce, but God remembered Noah. Now, as we come to the end of our passage today, I want to highlight a few of the things that we should learn from these 19 verses. Here are four implications. Number one, God's salvation gave creation a new beginning. God's salvation gave creation a new beginning. God had destroyed all life on the earth, but God gave creation a new start when the doors of that ark opened up. Just as God had blessed the original animals by telling them to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis chapter 1, God says the exact same thing to the creatures emerging in Genesis 8.17. He says, be fruitful and multiply. God had wiped the slate clean and was allowing mankind and all creation to have another opportunity to live on this earth. God had granted a new beginning. And this story of this new beginning was fact, not fiction. Which leads us to number two, God's people can trust his word as history. God's people can trust his word as history. Did you notice all of the dates throughout this entire passage? The chronological timeline is given again and again and again to help show us that this was not just some allegorical fable, but really happened in history. 
Fiction books don't need detailed accounts of the exact year, month, and day a thing happened, but the dating in this passage helps show that the story of Noah's Ark is not a mythical children's tale, but it really happened in the past. We can trust these scriptures as historical documents. And these historical documents give us a powerful picture of patience, which leads us to number three. God's people must patiently wait on God. God's people must patiently wait on God. In past sermons, we saw Noah as a great example of obedience. And in this passage, we saw Noah as a model of patience. Now, as we're going to discover in a few weeks, Noah was not a perfect person. But we should learn from his strengths and follow his example of faith-filled patience. Our texts emphasize how long Noah had to be on that ark, how long he had to wait for complete deliverance from the waters, and how long he had to wait for God to allow him to exit that boat. Although none of us have a boat to stay on, the Bible repeatedly emphasizes our need to be patient, especially during trials and hardships in our life. And the Bible stresses our need to patiently wait for God's final deliverance when Jesus Christ will return and make all things right. Waiting for that final deliverance when Jesus Christ will return can be hard sometimes, especially when it seems like everything in your life is just falling apart. But if we are patient, just like Noah, that deliverance will eventually come. James chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 7 through 11 says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. <clears throat> As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Life on this earth is hard. But we can have patience when we remember that we have a loving, compassionate, sovereign, and merciful God who has promised to ultimately deliver us. And if we are one of God's people, we can be confident that He will indeed Remember to do just that. Which leads us to number four. God always remembers his people. God always remembers his people. God will never forget or walk out on his people. 
Noah experienced this when he remembered, God remembered him and gave him the deliverance that God had promised. And the God who remembers his people in the Old Testament is the exact same God who remembers his people in the New Testament. And that God is always faithful to remember, always faithful to, to focus on helping and delivering his people, always faithful to save those who have faith in him. We see a memorable example of this in Luke 23, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is hanging on a cross, dying as a sacrifice for sins. While he hung on that cross, two criminals hung on crosses next to him. And it says in Luke 23, verses 29 through 43, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. One criminal mocked Jesus, but the other one recognized his guilt He acknowledged his sin and he turned to Jesus in faith. He asked Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now this man did not think that Jesus had a bad memory. Instead, like we saw today, he wanted Jesus to remember him in the sense of Jesus focusing on him to deliver him. This man wanted salvation. Not salvation from the physical death that he was about to endure, but eternal salvation as he asked Jesus to remember him when Jesus came into his heavenly kingdom. This criminal might not have known a whole lot of doctrine, but he knew that he was a sinner. He knew Jesus was the divine king who would rule eternally and he knew that his only hope of salvation was to turn to Jesus in faith. And you know what? That belief was enough. For Jesus promised him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that promise is for you today as well. If you confess your sins, if you turn to the Savior who died to pay for sins and rose from the dead, if you humbly turn in faith to that Savior and ask Him to remember you, Jesus will. 
and he will change you and welcome you into his eternal kingdom because God always remembers his people. Lord God, we thank you for that truth. We thank you that you are not a God who walks out on your people. You are not a God who abandons the people that he has made promises to. You are God who has confirmed throughout your word that you will keep your promises and that you will deliver, that you will remember, that you will save your people. I ask God that that would encourage us. I especially ask that that would encourage us as we face trials and hardship in our life. When we just feel like we want to quit, when we want everything to stop, that we would be patient and we would remember that you're not gone, that you haven't forgotten, that you are still there and that you will bring us to final deliverance. We thank you so much for this story. We thank you for our Savior and in his name we pray. Amen.